Okay, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I would like for us again to read these verses, verses 9 through 13. And actually this evening we're going to read, uh, are going to include verses 14 and 15 in our reading as we consider tonight the fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer. Let's read Matthew 6, 19 through 15 together. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespassers, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In the fifth petition, we consider the, the matter of forgiveness. The forgiveness of sin is as necessary for the life of the soul as food is for the life of the body. In fact, the forgiveness of sin is much more important than our daily bread. Frankly, we can starve to death, literally, and still go to heaven and be blessed forever. But we can never do those things without the daily and continual forgiveness of our sins. Forgiveness lies at the very heart of the Christian life. In this petition, we see the importance of forgiveness. It can be clearly seen in terms both of our forgiveness from God in the first part of the petition and also uh, in terms of our forgiveness towards one another. Note that this prayer does not envision our forgiveness, or we could say our salvation, apart from our forgiveness of others. In verses 14 and 15 that we read, let me read it again. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Note that this is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer that receives further explanation and comment by our Lord. So we have this prayer, we have these six petitions. It is only this petition that after the end of this model prayer that he actually gives us uh, commentary about, further instruction about, further clarification about. And I would suggest that this should highlight for us the importance of this particular issue, how important it really is. We're going to see later tonight in Matthew 18, he's going to devote an entire parable to this, uh, to this particular matter, the matter of forgiveness. Now, let me ask you a question. Does it comfort you to think that in some way your forgiveness of the, the forgiveness of your sins is connected to or tied to your forgiveness of others or whether or not you forgive others? Is that something that comforts you to think? That the forgiveness of my sins is connected to how I forgive others or whether or not I forgive others. 
I would suggest that this is a very sobering petition here in the Lord's Prayer. I would suggest to you that forgiveness is something that really reveals whether our faith is real or not. There are a lot of things about the Christian life that we can fake. There are many things that we can pretend about. There are many things that we can put a facade over. But real forgiveness from the heart is not so easy to fake. And in our heart of hearts, we know whether or not we have forgiven others as we ought to have done. We know that in our heart of hearts. Now, I mentioned the need for daily forgiveness. Please note that this idea actually comes to us from our text. You'll note that this petition begins with the word and. Now, if I remember right, it's not good English, not good grammar to begin a sentence with and. Is that right? I think that's correct. But this petition actually begins with the word and. It basically says, give us our daily bread and our daily forgiveness. Those are two things that we are greatly in need of every day. And we should view daily confession and pardon as just as crucial to our well-being and our personal happiness as having sufficient food and clothing are. When you get up in the morning, what do you think about first? Breakfast or confessing your sins? I would suggest to you that at least those two things should go hand in hand together. Now, before we consider the two parts of this petition, the two parts being forgive us our debts and then the other part being as we also have forgiven our debtors, we need to address a question that often arises uh, from this petition. And this is the question that often comes up. If we are justified, if we've been declared righteous before God, the moment that we believe in Christ, and if all of our sins, past, present, and future, have been washed away and forgiven and pardoned, and if perfect righteousness, the perfect righteousness and the law-keeping of Christ has been imputed to us, then why do we pray for our sins to be forgiven repeatedly throughout all the days of our life? I would suggest there's a number of reasons why we are to pray for forgiveness every day. Now, the first is, is that whether we understand it or not, it is clear that believers in both the Old and New Testaments are commanded to confess their sins. Proverbs 25, excuse me, 28, 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We know David's confession through many of the Psalms. For example, Psalm 51, verses 1 through 3, and many other places in the Psalms, his confession of his sin. In the New Testament, we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Charles Spurgeon says this, No prayer of mortal men could be complete without confession of sin. Prayer which does not seek for pardon will fail, as the Pharisees' prayers did. Let proud men boast as they please. Those who are in Christ's kingdom will always pray 
forgive us our debts. Second reason is this. Although we are justified the moment that we believe and all of our sins were imputed to Christ on his cross, we still must experience daily forgiveness of sins because we continue to sin in time, day by day. From one perspective, we are, we are already fully redeemed for Jesus has paid the price fully for uh, all of our sins in his atoning death. But from another perspective, we experience the merits of Christ's death daily, do we not? I hope that's our present experience that when we sin, that we experience again the benefits, the merits of Christ on a daily basis. When God views us judicially, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. Yet he expects us to acknowledge and confess every known sin as it occurs in our lives. We need to experience the forgiveness of sin every day. Our faith in Christ is not a one-time act, but it continues throughout our life. And our faith is always clinging to Christ, always depending on him for forgiveness. And every time we confess our sins and seek forgiveness from God, we are saying again that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are really confessing our faith yet again every time we confess our sins and seek forgiveness. Third, note the fact that our Lord's merits are applied to us through the passing of time every day. And we see this by His work as high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. What is Christ doing right now? He is interceding for us. It is continual, it is a continual daily process. When we sin, He intercedes. And when we sin, we should confess and ask for forgiveness. John writes, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If anyone sins, present tense, we have, present tense, right now, an advocate with the Father, who is Jesus Christ the righteous one. And when we can commit sin, we still remain a child of God. However, the Holy Spirit is grieved by our sin, Ephesians 4.30. And a believer's fellowship with the Father is disrupted. By our sin. And thus we need to acknowledge our sin and appeal to God through our advocate, Jesus Christ, every day. Confession is an expression of faith in Christ's blood and in his high priestly work. I would suggest to you that confession is essential to our sanctification and to our assurance of salvation. And when we confess, We are trusting Christ and His completed and perfect work, and we are saying that He truly is the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 2.2. J.C. Ryle writes this, The justification of every believer, no doubt, is a finished and perfect work, and one admitting of no degrees, no increase, or no diminution. The moment a man believes on Christ... He is as much justified as St. Paul or St. John and cannot be more justified if he lives to the age of Methuselah. But all this is no reason why we should not daily confess 
our sins and daily seek fresh application of Christ's blood to our conscience. In fact, it is the life of faith to do so. So let's look at these two parts of the petition that we have. First is this, forgive us our debts. And I want to just look at two brief questions, and those two questions are what is meant by debt and what is meant by the word forgive. The word debt, it means something that is justly and legally due. It is a debt in the way that we always think about debts. Look at Romans 4.4. This is the sense of it. Romans 4.4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. It is something that is ours by obligation and by debt. And that is the idea behind this word debt. We have not rendered to God what was due to him. We owe to God a perfect obedience. Anything and everything that is short of that puts us more and more and more and more into God's debt. John Gill said sins are called debts because on account of them we owe satisfaction to the law and justice of God. The proper debts we owe to God are love, obedience, and gratitude. And in default of these... Or we could say that if we didn't do that, we owe the debt of punishment. In our Lord's further explanation of this petition down in verses 14 and 15, He uses the general term trespasses, which literally means a false step. The Bible is crystal clear that sins, which are in a spiritual sense debts owed to God, can never be paid by our own works or contrition. And thus the only solution that we have in, in dealing with our sin and our debt with God is that it be paid by another and that our sins be forgiven. And note that the, word, that the words debt and sin are actually plural words. They are debts and sins because we repeatedly fall short of God's perfect moral law in our lives and they are truly, truly many. The word debt teaches us a number of things about prayer. First, we approach God with a deep sense of our own unworthiness. When we come to God and we have in our mind the fact that we are, in fact, debtors to God, when we acknowledge our sins, we are assuming a position of humility and need. When we approach God with this petition in the Lord's Prayer, we are coming to Him as one who is truly needy. We need forgiveness. Our sins are something, our debts are something that we are never, ever able to repay. And so we turn to the Lord for forgiveness of these things. In and of ourselves, apart from the person and work of Christ, we know that we have absolutely no resources. We have no claim upon God. In fact, it's the very opposite. We have no claims on Him. He has every claim on us, and all the more because of our deficiencies and our debts. And we are totally unworthy of God's favor and blessings. A Christian should never approach God with a proud spirit as if God owes them anything. That is not the way that, that Christians pray. 
Secondly, we approach God with a full realization of our guilty, sinful condition and that it is real. Let me me explain what I mean by that. The Lord's Prayer is an honest prayer. It deals with reality as it really is. The Bible explicitly recognizes the problem of remaining sin in the believer. And as Christians, we don't pretend that we're perfect. We recognize the truth about ourselves, that we are sinners, that we are debtors to God. And we pour out our our hearts to God on this matter with the full knowledge that only Christ can wash away our sins and deliver us from the power of sin. And so when we pray in this way, we are praying real prayers. This is real religion. This is the truth about who we are and where we stand before God. Thirdly, prayer is such an amazing means of grace, not only because God answers prayer and comes to our assistance, but also because prayer focuses our attention on the things in our life that we need to change. It's a great benefit to our souls to be reminded daily of our true self and of our true spiritual needs, of our deficiencies, of the sins that we struggle with. And as we come to the Lord and ask forgiveness for these things, confess these things, uh, it, is a, it is a great help to us. This is, these are the things that we need to be working on in our Christian life. If we truly pray this prayer, we approach God with an acknowledgement of our debts and a sincere desire to forsake them because we know that God has promised mercy to those who do so. And then fourthly, the biblical acknowledgement of debts before God shows faith in Christ because it's an admission that we can do nothing about our guilt, that the guilt that we have, that sin brings to our life. We know that we are utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ and His redemption And genuine faith looks away from ourselves and to our mediator, our Savior. Now the word forgive, that's in our verse. This word means literally to send away or to dismiss. This idea is expressed beautifully in Psalm 103.12 where it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Isaiah, it is expressed as blotting out. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The Bible speaks about God covering our iniquity, Psalm 85. Washing them away, Psalm 51. The scriptures tell us over and over again that God will not impute our sins to us. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Psalm 32. All of these terms teach us that God does, in fact, pardon and forgive our sins and that He not only does it, but He does it in such a complete and extraordinary and wonderful way. This petition assumes many other doctrines. It assumes the vicarious atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. It assumes justification by faith. It assumes the fact that our salvation is all of grace from start to finish. 
God forgives us completely and perfectly because Jesus rendered a full and perfect satisfaction to God the Father on the cross. And this is what we are praying for when we ask God to forgive us. Now, what about this last petition? As we forgive our debtors. The fifth petition is unique in that we ask God to forgive our sins as we forgive our debtors. Now, this connection between God's forgiveness and our uh, forgiving others, uh, I think, is often misunderstood. So let's think about that for just a moment. Jesus is not teaching here that if we forgive others, we somehow merit God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is not grounded on the fact that we forgive others. We don't earn the forgiveness of God by forgiving others. If that were true, this would contradict the teaching of salvation in the whole Bible. God's Word repeatedly teaches us that we are forgiven and declared righteous based on, not based on our own deeds, but solely on the merits of Jesus Christ. And so that cannot be what this statement means. Well, if that's not what it means, then what does it mean? Well, I think it means this. A born-again person who has experienced the grace of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ and has been made a new creation in Christ and has had the law of God written upon his heart will be a forgiving person. Let me say that again. A born-again person who has experienced the grace of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ and has been made a new creation in Christ and has had the law of God written upon his heart will be a forgiving person. On the other hand, I'll say it in very plain and simple words. A person who will not forgive is not a Christian person who will not forgive is not a Christian. The Lord is saying that a true Christian repents of his sin and obeys the teachings of Christ. And what is at the very heart of the teachings of Christ? If it's not the forgiveness, the love of, and the forgiveness of all those that are around us. That is what we are commanded to do over and over again in the Scriptures. We can't follow Christ If we don't do that, a professing Christian who is completely unwilling to extend forgiveness to a brother that admits his faults and asks for forgiveness should not expect forgiveness from God. Now, let's look at uh, Matthew 18, that parable that I mentioned earlier. It's found in verses 23 through 35, but let's just quickly read this parable. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let me just pause there for a moment to say uh, that I've heard it said. I've never known exactly how to do the calculations. I've heard it said that Bill Gates couldn't pay that, to put it in perspective for our our modern times, this term 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, I hope we realize that this parable is full of these exaggerations and, and that he never could repay this tremendous debt. But you see what he's asking here, the servant, as he falls upon his knees. Verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, let me pause there for a second. I understand that's something like uh, two or three months' wages. So uh, a significant term, but not a, not a ridiculously unsurmountable debt. And seizing him, he began to choke him, and saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So there's very strange word of strength. Strong words from our Lord Jesus Christ concerning this matter. We don't have to comment on this parable tonight or we won't uh, get our uh, quick uh, assessment of this, par- uh, of this petition done. So we'll just leave that uh, where it is. But the point of this parable is that the man who was completely unwilling to forgive his fellow servant is not a true believer at all. God only forgives those who have faith and truly repent. And one of the evidences of faith in Christ and repentance towards God is a willingness to forgive others. Paul emphasizes this teaching in Ephesians 4, 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Gerhardus Voss wrote this. We are not merely exhorted to forgive because we have been forgiven. We are commanded to forgive as a matter of duty. If we are not willing to forgive others, we should question the reality of our own Christian experience. If our life does not produce the fruits of of salvation, what ground have we for assurance that we are saved? Genuine love of the brethren is an evidence that a person is truly saved. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death, 1 John 3.14. The person who is unwilling to forgive his brother abides in death. And that, that is, the person who does not love his brother is unsaved. Therefore, the Bible teaches that the person who is unwilling to forgive his brother is himself unforgiven by God. Forgiving our brother is, of course, not the ground of God's forgiving us. Rather, it is the evidence that God has forgiven us. Where there is the real root, there will also be the fruit. If there is no fruit then the real root is absent. With this in mind, let us note the following things about forgiving others. First, uh, let me just say, it may be obvious to you, but let me just say that the word debtors is not talking about 
people that have financial obligations towards us. Debts do not refer here to money, but to sins that are done against us. Our debtors are those who by unjust thoughts or words or deeds have done us an injury. All sins indeed are committed against God as a supreme Lord and lawgiver. But in most cases, in most cases, sins that are committed against God are also committed against other people. They are usually the objects which, to which the sins immediately relate that we commit. Thus, when we sin against someone, we are debtor to him as well as to God. We need to, to the best of our ability, make restitution and ask for forgiveness when we sin against others. If someone sins against us, they need to admit their guilt and attempt to make restitution when appropriate and ask for our forgiveness. But when that does happen, and when people do come to us and seek our forgiveness, we should be, as Christ's disciples, quick and eager to forgive them This aspect of the fifth petition teaches us that there are to be no loose ends in Christ's church. We should have no loose ends in Christ's church. We should not have any lingering matters of forgiveness among us as the people of God. Sins, whether on our part or on the part of others, are not to be ignored or overlooked. The Lord's Prayer that we're discussing now, this petition, it it presupposes the necessity for reconciliation between believers. If reconciliation and genuine forgiveness do not come about through biblical means, then Christians are not acting like Christians. Hatred and bitterness and Many things can fester in the body of Christ if these things are not dealt with righteously and promptly. Unity, which we are to seek and to protect at all costs, is threatened if we don't forgive one another from the heart. Secondly, we are required to forgive our debtors. What does the Lord mean when He says, forgive? Forgiveness means that we no longer hold the sin against the person who sinned against us. And we don't have time to talk in any depth tonight about what forgiveness is. But let me just mention a few things. We no longer hold that sin against that person. It means that we don't dwell on it anymore. We don't hold a grudge about it. We are to act by the grace of God as though that sin never occurred. We don't bring it up anymore to the person who sinned or to other people or even to ourselves. Paul says that we are to forgive like Christ. Listen to this from Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. 
The person who forgives lays aside all thoughts of anger and bitterness and revenge and malice and replaces those thoughts with mercy and with kindness. Sadly, many Christians have a bad record when it comes to forgiving others. Thirdly, a willingness to forgive those who have sinned against us is a condition of our, ins- of our assurance that God has forgiven us. What grounds do we have to think that I have been forgiven, that we have been forgiven if we don't forgive others? If we want to pray with faith that God, that God answers this prayer that our sins be forgiven, then we must forgive our brothers from the heart. A believer who is happy and quick to forgive others has real evidence of a work of the Holy Spirit in his life. We can have strong confidence that our sins have been forgiven by the sacrificial death of Christ if we have a heart that is willing to forgive others. Jesus does not permit broken relationships in his body. The forgiveness that he establishes between God and man must deeply affect relationships in the church. The church of Christ is to be a haven of love and of forgiveness. We all need to remember this when we are tempted to hold a grudge against a brother, especially against a penitent brother in Christ. And fourthly, this part of the fifth petition calls for serious self-examination. Do we have consciousness of our own need for forgiveness when God, with, uh, from God that leads us to be humble people? Do we have that consciousness? Are we seeking a full reconciliation with those that we have offended or those that have offended us? Are we immediately willing to forgive those who have sinned against us and who admit that guilt and seek forgiveness from us? When we forgive others, do we really, biblically and completely forgive them? Do we forgive from the heart as well as with our lips? If we can't answer these questions in the affirmative, then where is our Christianity and what kind of Christianity do we really have? Let us be determined to truly forgive our penitent brothers from our heart. This is one of the best ways that we imitate Christ and please Him. J.C. Ryle said this, God's free forgiveness of sins is our highest privilege in this world. God's free forgiveness will be our only title to eternal life in the world to come. Then let us be forgiving during the few years that we have here upon this earth. One last observation, we don't have time to talk about this tonight, is that our text says, forgive us our, trans, our transgressions or our debts. This confession of sin is to be part of our corporate praying. That's a topic that we'll maybe have opportunity to take up uh, at another time. I want to close by, again, reading, as I've done in previous weeks, from the Westminster Larger Catechism. This is question 194. What do we pray for in the fifth petition? Answer. In the fifth, in the fifth petition, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
acknowledging that we and all others are guilty both of original and actual sin and and thereby become debtors to the justice of God and that neither we nor any other creature can make the least satisfaction for that debt, we pray for ourselves and others that God of His free grace would, through the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, apprehend, apprehended and applied by faith, acquit us both from the guilt and punishment of sin, accept us in His beloved, continue His favor and grace to us, pardon our daily failings, and fill us with peace and joy in giving us daily more and more assurance of forgiveness which we are the rather emboldened to ask and encouraged to expect when we have this testimony in ourselves that we from the heart forgive others their offenses. So I say amen to that.